Hello, and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about DMing and everything you could want to know about running your game. Hello, I'm Charles, and today I have Nathan. Hello, hello. And Willis. Hello. Today we're talking about sandboxes, but before we start, we're going to roll initiative to see who leads the chat. Three! I got a six. Twelve! Hey. Wow. That's, we, we rolled uh, the uh, times two there. Yeah. Yeah, there's math. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what say you, Willis? <laughs> I feel like... We should have just uh, Give it given Nathan. it to Nathan here, because he, he's going to be the expert on this one. Uh, well, yeah. G- give us your, I don't know, your general impressions about sandboxes. I, I, I love the idea of sandboxes. I think they're really great. When I play online games, you know, sandboxes are some of the ones that I gravitate to the most. So, like, sandbox and D&D just feels like a no-brainer next step. But I feel like... They're so um, different to what I'm used to in D&D that it's, it's just like a whole other beast, which is, I guess, why we're doing a, a whole episode about it. Mm-hmm. But um, I would like to play in one one day. That's my, that's my biggest thought on that one. Well, maybe we can sell you on one by the time we're done here today. We'll just bully Nathan into running one for us. I'm here for that. That's my that's my whole objective with the I, whole I, podcast. I didn't realize that uh, I, I, I've fallen into a trap, it seems. Well, Nathan is sort of our, our resident sandbox expert between the three of us, because my, my games are more, I guess I, I would say they're more plot-focused or more narrative-focused. Not that a sandbox can't be, but Nathan, what draws you to a sandbox game? Why do you like them so much? Well, I think the neat thing about... Uh, D&D in general is that just about every game is a sandbox, if you think about it. Uh, we're not playing a video game where, you know, uh, you know we've got one main story and maybe we got some side quests we can go on, but you just get to have to go straight on that. Uh, the players realistically can do whatever the hell they want. Um, and our job as the DM is to sort of support that. And some most of the time, our players are going to go on and do our main story that we've prepared for them because they're nice people. Um, but every now and then you'll get a player like, hmm... You mentioned like offhand about some really cool uh, cave that has maybe like a dragon and some treasure in it. I don't care about this world destroying necromancer. Let's go there. <laughs> uh, and I think I think just sort of the logical next step, in my opinion, is um, to sort of just kind of maybe design your game around that philosophy. Um, that your players very well might just ignore what you've put in front of them and go try and do things. Um, and so I guess starting from there, sandboxing starts at world building, uh, in which we, you know, that was like our first episode, second episode, third episode, one of them. Something uh, like that. Uh, and I remember, like, I, I talked a lot about sort of, and I, actually we all did, sort of keeping things small and starting, um, like, you know, maybe just a village in the outlying area. And that's a perfect sandbox. You've got your village where your, your adventurers and their friends and the NPCs all hang out. And then you've got the outlying area that is full of danger. Um, I, uh, I remember, Charles, you talked about your current campaign uh, briefly starting off with ba- like basically a job board. 
Mm-hmm. You just slapped a whole bunch of stuff on there and uh, waited to see what your players did. Sandbox right there. That's all it is. See, that uh, that was kind of my hope. It was like, I, I love a job board in D&D because it creates the illusion of a bigger world. Even if you don't have all of those threads fully fleshed out, just like presenting that to the party and letting them think or know that they can follow any one of these makes it feel like oh shit there's like a whole world here these are all things that are happening yep just like in world building and like in a lot to do with um you know dming in general um sandboxing is really just smoke and mirrors uh you want your party to think you have all the answers and that this whole world is built around them and they could do whatever you want but really you're just you gave that you give them like five leads uh, and they pick which one's most interesting, and then you go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I run a West Marches game, which is basically just a sandbox, where the whole premise is I gave them a map at the beginning of the game of the, the area, and I marked it with a whole bunch of cool, interesting stuff. I presented each player with rumors about the surrounding area, and Session Zero was just... Uh, they talked in character um, about... you know they, 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 they met up in character, talked about what they knew and what they wanted to go do, and I was just taking notes the whole time. Mm-hmm. I feel uh, like uh, a sandbox is also a game where you definitely should be talking to your your group beforehand and letting them know it's going to be a sandbox game. Because I feel like for you know a really open ended sandbox, it's more driven by player motivation than than other sorts of D and D games. Exactly. Uh, you you. It, just like maybe a sandbox isn't the best thing for all dungeon masters, it might not be the best thing for all players. If you've got a group that sort of hangs on your every whim and says, well, all right, this is where the story is. We need to go check this out. That might not be the best uh, game type for your group. But if you've got a very um, willful D&D party, uh, then this could be a really exciting uh, opportunity for them to basically tell their own story. Uh, the really fun thing I learned about my sandbox game when I was running it is I didn't really have to do a lot of work, but we were still telling this really grand, exciting story and people got really invested in their characters because they had all the control. Yeah, that's what I actually wanted to ask you about that because it seems like a sandbox would make it a little harder to have a like established plot or at least like a intended plot, if that makes sense. Because if, you know, with emphasis on freedom for them to do wherever they do whatever they want, go wherever they want to go. How do you balance that with like a beat for beat plot? Well, it's sort of that, I guess the difference is uh, when I'm running like my, my main game, my main sort of story-based game, I do have sort of this main central narrative that's sort of trying to tie everything together. But all of my characters still have their own backstories that and their stories for their personal characters they want to tell. The only difference with the sandbox is I've taken that main narrative out. Every character has still every player still brought their own character with their own stories to the table, and I still need to tell those. Mm-hmm. But um, the difference with it is I'm not you know there's I'm generally not going to be throwing a lot of intrigue in it, oh, at least in the one I'm running. But uh, the it, it generally there's not going to be a lot of um, really long story beats. It's more well, uh, almost episodic. Yeah, it's sort of like well, if you've got if you've decided to go to this location and or perform this job, then something might come up for this character's story, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's more obvious than not. Maybe they they get a clue from one of the places they went before that directs them to the spot, or maybe they just happen to run into something that pertains to their character. Mm-hmm. But uh, and uh, if the party then decides to follow that lead, then they're kind of working on a story, but that's their choice. Something that I've 
scene is uh, one of the differences between like kind of a sandbox game and a you know more linear or whatever is the presence of a, a BBEG, and that in a sandbox the BBEG is kind of not not really there as much. Like, sure there can be like bad guys and big you know big bad people trying to do evil things, but in in a linear one, uh, that that person is the driving force behind most everything that's bad that's happening to the players and players are following that lead and everything. And then in the sandbox, it's just open. Like they, the players look for the evil, I guess. No, I, I think you're, I think you're right about that. I think, you know, um, with a sandbox, you can kind of like let the players, kind of like gauge what they're interested in and then build up towards a big bad guy that they were already kind of interested in pursuing. So like if they're really interested in looking into the, the Druid's backstory about whatever evil spirit ruined their homeland and they, they, you know, they spend like 10 sessions getting invested into that background, just build up that villain more and more to kind of like match their interest. But I agree that like, it might not be a good idea in a sandbox to like have an idea for the big bad guy from the start of the campaign. Like you might in other styles of games. Yeah. A really good way to think about it is that normally when you're playing, if you've got a, a more big narrative focused game, you're Jeff, it's, it's kind of like active DMing. You're, you're putting story beats in front of your players and having them react to it and progressing the story like that. In a sandbox, it's more like reactive DMing. You're mm-hmm. you're sitting there while they're playing and you're taking notes about what they're interested in, the things they want to go for, and you plan and build based on that. I think that's um, definitely a, a strength of the sandbox. Um, I think it, more so than other games, it probably leads to this idea that the, well, obviously the players can do what they want, but I think it also... Uh, leads into the idea that the world is real and expansive and it's all there just waiting to be explored you know the the gif of um f- oh fuck it's either wallace or gromit i can never remember who's who the the dog uh and he's on the des- train tracks yeah he's desperately putting down train tracks as he's going that's what i think of when i think of like a sandbox like you can um plot out a large chunk of the world and lots of interesting events but i i kind of like this idea of like developing stuff based on the investment of your players yeah mm-hmm. and, and that's sort of kind of exactly the point and i think it's really intimidating looking at it at first because it definitely is you gotta you know plan by the seat of your pants really and sometimes and it does involve generally more improvisation than it would normally if you have something planned out for yourself mm-hmm. but um it it's so rewarding, I think, uh, to uh, when you when you manage to pull it off, you know, because your players are always invested because they're always the ones in control, uh, and the story that is being told um, is because you've you know everyone's totally invested, uh, and it's you know at the pace that your party sets it, uh, and at the level that your party wants. So like I have a level that I like to plan my stories, and I. Um, and I get really invested, but when your players are fully invested and have a leading role writing the story, um, as long as they want to do it, you can still get the same level of great character moments and great drama as you would in sort of any other game. Mm-hmm. And maybe even more, because I feel like it feels more personal. 
I uh, the characters in my the players in my sandbox game have have informed me a couple times that their character they're playing is easily one of their favorites because it feels it felt earned. Oh wow! Um, because uh, they they you know they start I started on level one because I'm an asshole. Willis, why haven't you given me this praise? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I also in my sandbox game I may be a little bit more mean than normal. Uh, it was definitely more combat focused starting out. Uh, and so they had to earn their levels. Ah. And that might be the other reason. Mm. I I have a question yeah. about sandboxes. And I know that in in uh, more linear or narrative-driven ones, uh, a sense of urgency can be something that's... Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Really important to keep the story going. Because I, I know that... Um, if if you do, if you give your players a story beat and they ignore it you could just you know jump to another one but a a sense of urgency for certain things can can give the players a um more like immersive feeling like they're they're like you know like oh this is this is really important we got to get this done you know and they're more invested and things like that and whereas in in it or i guess talking more about the the urgency there is that it it keeps players a little bit more on track, which is not always what you want to do in D anD D. But it it makes the payoff more rewarding. I feel like when it's there's a sense of danger mm-hmm. and things like that. But in a sandbox, I feel like that would it would uh, kind of how how do I say this um, take away from the sandbox element if you put too too much of a sense of urgency, then the, like the players feel obligated. To, to go do something. So my question is, how do you use that sense of urgency on your players in a sandbox? I try to avoid, um, you know, like sort of forcing players to, you know, go go somewhere I want to entirely. But I do also acknowledge that, you know, uh, this is a world that things are happening. Um, villains or creatures are doing things. And I want my players to get that sense as well. So I'm not going to, I don't think I'll ever let, you know, an unresolved lead turn into this world spanning threat. But I, I was very clear with my party going in that, hey, uh, I'm giving you a lot of different leads here, a lot of different rumors. You don't have to pursue all of them, but if you don't pursue them, they're going to, the word I think of the word I used was fester. Hmm. Um, thing, things will maybe get more dangerous. Uh, so that when you, if you want to go back to them later, it might be more problematic. So the big example I have is that they're one of the first like quote unquote early game leads I gave them was there's a mine that they knew was infested by kobolds. Um, I knew that the kobolds had recently found a dragon egg. The players did not, and if they had gone there first, they would have arrived and they would have found this big, like glowing red egg, and that would have been a really fun you know story beat for them. It's like what do we do with this egg? What's in this egg? What could this be? But they took like. A long time to actually go visit that mine finally. And when they got there, they had to fight a dragon. Uh, <laughs> like, it was just a wormling. But um, a dragon had hatched and it was it had started doing things. So, uh, sort of, even if you're not really, like, you know, maybe there's no BBEG around to force their hand and to blow up their village. Um, I think it's still feasible to maybe let the world change around them if they don't interact with it. So, if they had never decided... To visit that cave, would you have had that dragon come out of the cave and attack a village? Or would you just let that be something that happened in the background? 
Yeah, if they had never expressed interest in ever going there, I probably just wouldn't have touched it. Mm. Uh, I because the the whole sort of idea behind the the, the sandbox is that I want to let the players do what they want, and if they're not interested in a cave full of kobolds, then I, I who am I to punish them for it? Mm-hmm. I think we like. I got some pretty good ideas of how you, the royal you, not specifically you, Nathan, but how you sort of build on plot that the the party is latching onto. But how, what advice do you have for like starting off a sandbox? Because we've talked about this before, how your your session ones are always the most awkward, even with a, a group that's familiar with each other. I feel like in a sandbox, it's even more open-ended. How do you like... How do you kick off that first session and give them their first sense of of direction? Uh, so how I did it in mine was that I was very, very clear with them what their quote-unquote objective was. And I didn't give them a specific one. The, uh, the My uh, sandbox setting is they arrived at a town called Farbreak, and it's the last bastion of civilization. Everything to the north is wilderness and dangerous. The only people that come up here are stupid, brave, or have nowhere else to go. Uh, so I basically told them, uh, I gave them a very specific prompt for who their characters are. You need to tell me, uh, where you came from, why you're here and why you can't go back. Ooh. Mm. Uh, I like that. And so, and I didn't necessarily need them to get incredibly complicated about it. I think I had one guy that basically just said, my father came up here 20 years ago and never came back and I need to find him and I'm not going anywhere until, uh, I do. Uh, and, uh, and that's great. So, and I have all of these characters now. I had like five or so that all had very specific objectives that they were looking for up here. Um, and very specific reasons they couldn't go back. And uh, so then I, and then I presented them with like five or so different locations uh, in, in out in this dangerous wilderness and gave each of them a, a rumor that they heard about one of one or two of these locations. And that rumor is not necessarily affiliated with their own character story. It might have been somebody else's. Um, oh, yeah. And that forces them to come together and talk about what they know. Uh, so I had one guy who uh, is, is going on a pilgrimage to, um, you know, go to the different sites of that were um, significant to his god. Uh, and uh, his, you know, he's, he's sort of like a bard cleric kind of guy. His god's instrument is bongos. And so I told one of the other players, uh, oh, you know, you, you were talking with people around town and you heard uh, that uh, some explorers that went over to this keep to the northeast had heard the sounds of bongos playing uh, in, in, in from from the castle. And when that character brought that up in the sessions you're meeting, I, I saw the, the character who that lead was for just like immediately light up and say, what did you say? I love that. And so it immediately prompts discussion and builds sort of these these leads that give them direction based on their own character stories that they're already invested in. I love the idea of, of sprinkling information throughout the party that other members of the party need. We could probably do exactly. we could like, probably do a whole episode about like getting your party to bond together. Exactly. Uh, it's, Team building it's, exercises. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I have a question. Another question about setting. Um, I like the edge of edge of civilization, and I think it's a great one for uh, sandboxes. Uh, but I, it got me kind of thinking about how you would how would you approach a sandbox setting that takes place um, in like maybe the entire planet is covered in a city, or and it's like all political intrigue and stuff, or maybe one of the uh, characters really wants to 
um, take over a country and become the king or something like that. So how, how would you approach a sandbox in a setting that's more developed um, with, with like, rule and law as, as well, it like, pertains to, like, civilizations? So that would actually be a new thing for me because I haven't really tried something like that. I feel like I, I went for the, the basic bare-bones sandbox for my first one, and it was a great success, but I think I don't think it would really be much different. Um, I, I, how it's working right now is they go out and they do something in the wilderness and they come back to town, but I I, I feel like that's um, that, that still works pretty uh, well in a civilized setting. You know, they uh, uh, maybe they have a home base, maybe they don't, but they would just sort of uh, I would just probably run the same format that I do in my current one. I ask them at the end of the session, okay, what are you planning on doing next? And then I prepare that, and then we go do that next session. I think a big key to running a more developed setting like that could be events going on. So I think it's a good place to start with, you know, your all the party's backgrounds and little little drip feeds of information that they could pursue. But also, you know, when you say it's city-sized planet, I think Coruscant, obviously. I think Star mm. Wars. So I just think it, it could come down to what's going on on the planet. What's happening on this half of the planet? Is there, like, is there a civil war brewing in this ward? Okay, and over here, there's a political coup happening. And over here, there's uh, an uprising crime. And, like, I think it comes down to, like, getting that information to the party and giving them reasons to want to go check it out. So, like, kind of, uh, this gets a little more complicated. But um, setting up, like, clear rewards, I think, also helps. Even if it's not, like, job board with posting of gold or credits you'll get from it um like reasons why they should want to stop the civil war from breaking out into the streets right so maybe you know maybe one of the the parties is uh their family is from one of these wards that's going to be affected so they have a a real interest in shutting that down um I, i think like the more you know about your party and their motivations even if it's not necessarily their backstory just like their morals or alignment you can figure out things that might drive them to action. And it, it just comes down to like kind of world building in a way and, and probably a bit more than your edge of the, the world edge of the wilderness setting. Um, really understanding like what's happening with the people in your setting. It agreed. It's sort of, I think, like I said, it, it all, it starts at world building. Uh, you need to kind of have a, at least a general understanding what's going on in your setting and you don't need to know exactly what it is like you said he's just like there's a civil war thing going on here and you could basically just start with that and as soon as the party says oh that sounds cool i want to go figure out what's going on there then you hop into the development you try to figure out mm-hmm. what that is but maybe they're like uh ooh, that that circus over on the other end of town is really exciting they'd be like all right <laughs> civil war plot abandoned yeah <laughs> and their players aren't going to care because they didn't care about it to begin with I think building up to like running a sandbox, you should spend some time just jotting down lots of random ideas that come to you. So you're like, you know, I've never done like a haunted circus. Okay, there's an idea. You know, I've never done a civil war. All right, that's jotted down. And then just just do that for like a couple weeks and then figure out where to put them all and figure out small introductions to each. And, and see, then be prepared for when they ignore all of them. <laughs> yeah, be prepared and, for yeah, them. Offhandedly mention Boblin the Goblin. I was the just about and... to say. Ah! I was just about to say. Wait for them to get enamored with the the Goblin running a bar, and then they that he's the most important character in the world now. <laughs> okay, so you said running a bar, and this is something that I wanted to bring up. 
I've heard stories about sandbox games where the players get all these plot hooks, like you were saying, and then they ignore all of them, and they decide that they want to run a, a tavern. <laughs> and it's... When I think of D&D, and I think when this is for a lot of people what they think of, they think of kind of like adventuring and going and dungeon delving and fighting dragons. I mean, it is called Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. But that's not all there is in this game. It, it, it's so open-ended that it allows players to run a bar if they want. And how, how would you approach when the situation where players, they don't, they don't want to go adventuring. They don't want to do the typical high fantasy Dungeons and Dragons things. And maybe they just want to run a farm or something like that. A couple of thoughts. <laughs> I would love to hear them. I'd be shocked to find a whole party that actually wants to do that. Like, for the rest of the campaign, maybe people would do it for a few, but... I mean, I don't know. It seems weird to, like, build up a whole class with combat features. Like, I want to run a bar. and But the thing is, like, if they want to, hey, they're having fun and good for them. I'll, I'll indulge it. Um, at the same time... I would not have fun as a DM running a whole campaign about a bar. Um, eventually, I'd probably have to say, hey, guys, this is not, like, the game I had in mind. You guys really want to stay here forever? Uh, though, I think I could get some mileage out of it because, you know, if they really just are determined to run a bar and hold up and retire, bring the adventure to them. So... Turns out the last owner of this bar had some some money owed to some shady people, and they come looking to collect, and they don't care that you're not the guy. It's the it's tied up in the business itself. Or, or maybe the the land your bar is built on is haunted, and you need to go figure out the source. Of the <laughs> I curse. was about to say the exact same goddamn thing. <laughs> you, you, I think there's ways you could bring the adventure to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's sort of. I think a big part of it is that that you need to have player buy-in, and that's that comes at the beginning with session zero. Uh, everyone needs to be on the same page, and hopefully, if they're thinking about running a bar sim, uh, <laughs> that would come out in session zero, and you'd be able to figure that out. Yeah. But I I think the whole idea behind the game, like you said, is adventuring, going and and fighting dragons and collecting gold, and um. If you know if they want to end up running wanting to run a bar and that didn't and it just sort of happens in game at some point that'll be a little concerning but I, I I feel like most groups will be respectful of the idea that we agreed that we were gonna do like this adventuring game that's what the DM has been working on um, and uh, you know we should respect that yeah uh, like in my campaign Willis if if on session 40, you guys all decided you were done fighting monsters and exploring the world and working at the magisterium and wanted to open a bar. I'd be like, well, all right. Uh, I, I guess this campaign's done. Yeah. That's, that's retiring. <laughs> is what that is. Yes. Which, which is a happy ending and why not do it? But it is probably about, the, about the end. Although I, I do think you could, you could technically run a bar remotely. You know, the whole party doesn't have to be there every day washing plates and serving food like if they want to own a a tavern and they place someone there to run it that kind of is i i kind of like that more because it gives them like a an anchor in the world right it's a just mm-hmm. just another thing to care about they'll probably get profits from it maybe even lose money so they have a reason to keep it afloat but you know if some thugs start causing some shit there and cause some like real property damage to it 
your party is going to be invested in, in finding out who did that and cracking their heads. Yeah, you know, I was actually going to bring up something like that is is the idea of strongholds or, or a, yeah. a sandbox staple. Yes. And a stronghold doesn't need to be a castle. It could be a, a bar. It could be like a shop or, of some kind. And I think one of the cool things about having something like that uh, in your game is that sort of like a home base. And, if, you know, for, uh, for a more meta example, if a player doesn't show up one day, they're running the tavern uh, while everybody else is out adventuring. And that gives... Uh, uh, sort of it, like Charles said, some investment for them to go back to gives them sort of a, a quote unquote safe place for them to spend their time, and it's really fucking cool to own a castle. Let's be real. If I wasn't like super mm-hmm. on board with this, but now I'm, I kind of like the idea of an adventuring party whose side business is an item shop where they sell like the stuff they don't want for themselves. Because you know, eventually, I feel like adventuring parties get kind of bogged down with all this crap they found. So the, like. Guys, do we still need this rope of binding? No. All right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna put it in the shop, okay? And then they they're just selling off random stuff as well, and, and gear to other adventurers. You know, there's. It's actually really cool. I I forget this all the time, but there are actually rules in the uh, DMG about running a side business. They have tables that you can roll on so. to see. Yeah. It. it it's it's kind of uh, they're a little basic I think where it's it's like um, you roll on this table every day and then like they make this much gold or they lose this much gold and if you spend X amount of time helping they can add this to the roll something like that yeah but th- they do have kind of basic rules and I think Tasha's actually had a little bit of expansion on that in the patrons section I think so. The group patrons section, I think, had like a little bit of uh, an expansion on that, but I. I There's definitely a point remember. with with like this business aspect that I would hit, where like this is not why I'm here. I'm not here to do job simulator. I don't want to roll a d20 to see how well my 401k is doing. You know, like <laughs> I'm here to. This is escapism. Yeah, this yeah, is... exactly. And you can, I think, you know, so if you're gonna have elements of it, I would still bring the adventure to the party somehow. Yeah. Well, and I, I've always been a huge fan of stuff like that. I would love to implement it into games and see it in the games that I play in because mm-hmm. it, it definitely, it helps to, um, dissipate that, uh, murder hobo, the, the hobo side of murder hobo Yeah. where it like, it really anchors the players to the world because I, I just see so often that it's like adventurers are just these people with they have a backstory but they don't have roots anywhere you know for some reason or another they've because to to be an adventurer you kind of have to be able to go wherever and do what do whatever you know and if you've got something that's tying you down it's i I think kind of takes away from that element a little bit like it would be weird to think in real life like that you've got like a wife and you're just leaving for months at a time to go do stuff. Like it, it's hard to imagine a relationship like that surviving, Mm. you know, and I know that there's, that does happen in real life, you know, with the service and things like that, but it, it would make you think that there would be some sort of strain in there. Could uh, evolve from murder hobo to murder homeowner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Still working on the second half, but... Well, first first half. 
first half. So still a, mur- still a murderer. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think um, giving your players a home base is uh, always a good idea. It gives them something that is uh, both sort of, you know, to the character and sometimes even mechanically uh, that they're invested in. Uh, it's like, yeah, this is this is our home. This is where, you know, uh, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, uh, your own home gets broken into. You, you don't really feel, it's hard to feel safe there anymore, right? Mm. Uh, and as a player, you, you even as like uh, an adventure, you want to have that place, you know, you're out in the wilderness fighting monsters and stuff. You When you come back to your, your keep or your, your tavern, that's where your character feels safe and you don't have to worry about getting ganked by goblins. Yeah. And so when uh, the dragon attacks your town and your, your tavern gets lit up, oh, it's... It's time to get mad. It's a, a really good way to sort of build that investment with your party. Yeah, I just recently um, gave the party their own stronghold. They just got promoted within the the organization they're a part of, so they were going to get their own their own home, their own stronghold. And I really emphasized that I wanted them to like think of customizing each of their their rooms. And they basically like gave them homework so that between sessions they could really like think about it. And now I feel like it. I don't know. It feels unique everyone's got like interesting aspects of their rooms um they also like came together for ideas about the like living space and they wanted a big library they wanted an open kitchen and like i also am a fucking nerd i don't know if i showed you this nathan but i also i built it in minecraft because (laughs) exciting i am not an artist but i i got a really good idea for the space of it and i just wanted to like share with the party like a general idea of how it looks so i built the interior in minecraft and now uh I don't know, it's neat. It, it feels like a real place now. I really um, like, I like what you one. did with Simon's closet. <laughs> Just got a little, literally a closet he stands in. <laughs> um, I on the, on the other side of that, a stronghold can make them feel like tethered to the world and like they have somewhere safe to come to. But in a sandbox, it, maybe you don't want that. I, obviously, this helps curve the, the murder hobo aspect, but... With nowhere really to return, you know, I think it gives that sort of life on the road, dusty, uh, I don't know, cowboy, not a cowboy, but, you know, just rugged adventurer feel to it, where it's you against the wilderness. Is that uh, a kind of a tone you usually go for in your settings, Nathan, or do you well, still have a good mix of cities and, and places they can rest? It, it depends. Like like I said, for my, for my wilderness one, they've got the one town. Uh, and they did event. They did capture a keep, and they are t- they have turned it into their own stronghold. Oh, cool! And um, and I, I that's because that's what they wanted to do. I I'm not gonna sort of like tell them no to a stronghold or anything like that because, like like we've been saying, this the whole idea with the sandbox is the players control the story. The players want to build a stronghold and have a you know a home base for them to s- uh, sit back at to whenever they need to. Who am I to stop them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because this is this is their story, and I'm just here to make it happen feels like a lot more of a sort of reactive style of, of playing D D, right exactly and i i do I, th- I brought this up briefly before but i do i think one uh piece that i think a lot of dms might struggle with thinking about the sandbox trying to sort of maintain that illusion because um you know on one hand you, you need to be able to know what the players want to do but you don't also want them to know that you're you know you're going going at this one session at a time <laughs> to go, they're going this way I don't think there's anything wrong with at the end of the session, uh, sitting your players down and saying, all right, cool. Tell me what you're doing next week. I do that sometimes, especially when there's like a very clear fork in the road and I don't necessarily want to plan out both huge possibilities or three or four possibilities. I will just say, what's the plan? (laughs) 
and, yeah, I, and I've never experienced a party that's gone well you should plan everything i think nah people understand that like some some guidance on their on their behalf is is useful and i think that's very necessary with the sandbox because the whole whole idea behind it is they could do whatever they want mm-hmm. they could go anywhere that they want and i i think it's not reasonable to expect your dungeon master to have all of the answers or improvise literally every session so um unless you've got a party that's bunch of jerks i think uh i think i think the strat is at the end of the session unless it is very 100 percent clear what they're doing just ask them straight up where are you going so i can prepare the next session uh-huh. and that, that's what i do and my party has always been cool with it um hell i for when we started doing virtual i would just uh make a uh a, a straw poll or something and put it in the oh, cool. uh, the discord channel and uh you know by the end of the weekend i have my answer something that i've always a setting that I've always wanted to play with in a sandbox is the um, it's, it's kind of similar to the frontier, but it's like the exploration expedition where it's, it's completely everything is unknown and they've got like a pack of supplies and like a caravan or something. And they just go into this unknown where maybe there's like, some indigenous peoples or something but they're just they're exploring the whole time that's a, gr- a great setting i i did a really short-lived campaign that was basically that just hey guys a new continent was discovered i think i also set it up that like they were very aware the continent had not been there like last month and then <laughs> what the fuck there's a new continent and like lots of people are gearing up to go there and the party is just another uh expedition that's been sent to go there it's I really like that a lot because there's so much intrigue there. As a player, I would like want to explore every inch of this land. Who who knows what's here? And the, you know, mm-hmm. it's showing up randomly is even more intriguing. Um, and it, it's just a great buy-in um, for the party, and it's a great reason that they're all working together. Um, they're all being employed to do this task. I I like that idea a lot for a sandbox. Yeah, and it it's um it's kind of kind of what I'm doing with mine, except um, that it's somewhat known what's going on. They did get a map, but uh, I think it's sort of long as you're, you give them sort of clear ideas what they can go do. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think one danger in the sandbox is putting your party down somewhere and saying, all right, what do you do? Yeah. What, what, what can we do? Of course. I think for like, you know, for that kind of idea for new land, there would always, there would be like some hook waiting for them there or a couple, like, yeah. you know, they find, they get off the boat and they find a a series of bodies littered on the beach and upon examination it's the party what the fuck oh <laughs> i i have no idea what the the resolution to that is i'm just going by the seat of my pants but like uh, that's intriguing time warp yeah and they, they look like they're about six months older than the party and they've they've been dead for quite some time like what the hell is going on and off in the distance there's a huge plume of fire like I don't know. Just there's. I think there's a lot you can set up to make them go like, well, we should, we should check that out. Yeah, they find a new I ore. <laughs> I think there's there's a lot to could be said for a sandbox where it's just you plop them in the middle of a place and let them go do whatever they want. But mm-hmm. I think most I think most parties will uh, want some leads to follow for sure. Um, and you know, it, it doesn't have to be even as dramatic as that. Just have some tracks on the beach that lead into the forest, and you know, with a decent investigation check or animal or nature or whatever, 
they're aware that like these tracks are totally foreign to any known animal. That's intriguing. That's interesting. Especially if the ex- your, your ranger or your druid's going to be all over that. Yeah. Especially if the expedition is kind of like a, you know, I'm picturing like a Lewis and Carroll thing. Like they're just meant to log different, like uh, plants and animals and any people they find just as sort of a general expedition. That's immediately something to look into. That was, that was in my mind as well. Mm-hmm. I always go like high stakes first. It's just my brain. Ah, oh, they fed you know, their own that. dead bodies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be a little bit of a strong start. Like, yeah, that's fair. I think <laughs> I think if if I started an expedition to an unknown land and saw my own dead body on the beach, I'd be like, all right, guys, it's just. <laughs> at second thought i'm just gonna go i'm an archaeologist i am not signed i'm not ready for this i'm not even like not even like an indiana jones archaeologist this is is too much yeah yeah we're going i specialize in bowls man (laughs) um i think another aspect of uh building sandboxes that would be like a, a sort of vital part of your tool belt is flexible encounters because this seems like a very improv heavy sort of genre um and there's a lot of strikes to that but i think you probably will inevitably hit the point where the party does take some total random direction you didn't plan for and you're you don't know what to do and i think having a few flexible encounters is useful to help pad out your games i don't like the term pad out but it's it's pretty accurate and so by flexible encounter i mean like either combat or social or whatever um, that can kind of be plopped down anywhere. The one I rely on a lot, by a lot I mean twice, um, is this uh, this mimic tavern. So the general idea is that the party in their travels comes across this big tavern in the middle of nowhere that like shouldn't be there. And the more remote, the more intriguing it is. It's got a big wooden sign swinging in the breeze and there's absolutely nothing on the sign. It's just blank. The tavern looks like unblemished and like fairly nice, but you can't really see in the windows because curtains are drawn and otherwise it's real weird. And when they go inside, it's completely barren and empty. Um, But every single thing in there, or at least most of it, most of the tables and chairs are mimics. And the big fun twist at the end is that the tavern itself is a mimic. And like, I like this encounter a lot because it leads to fun, like uh, intrigue. It leads to fun combat um, encounter. I've had the walls like close in as it tries to eat them while they're inside it. Um, and it also like, you know, the main point is this can be plopped down anywhere. It's designed that I can just put it in wherever I want. And I think that, I think the fun part uh, from my, what I remember is when we finally escaped the tavern, didn't it like grow huge legs yes, and just run off and wandered away. Same thing happened in, uh, in Wills's campaign where I used it. I believe they set it on fire and then it ran away. So you know, it might come back Incredible. later. Um, but I, yeah, I think the flexible encounters like that would be a good thing to keep in mind. Um, just something that, you know, they could stumble stumble across on any old road. Yeah, I also I have when I'm running my box, my sandbox. I I do have a self made random encounter table. Basically, sometimes I roll on it, sometimes I don't. I'll just pick something. But it's mm-hmm. it's uh, I think. Pad out's not a not a not a fun term to use, but I think it is accurate. Where it's yeah. like, oh, I don't, I need to throw something in their way real quick so I can quickly plan out what where they're gonna end up at, or at least uh, filibuster to the end of the session. Uh, and like you, uh, you might you as the DM know that you're just throwing it 
at them out of necessity, but they don't know that. They'll more than likely just think that this was a planned encounter. And even if they can figure it out, if they're having fun in the encounter, like... It's all that matters. In the end, you know. Yeah. And to sort of continue and build that illusion, I like to throw those sort of encounters... Uh, in their face, even when they're going somewhere, I know what the where where wh- what to do there. Mm-hmm. Sort of just to make it seem more commonplace, so it's not like I you know it's weird. Every time we go somewhere, pl- the the DM doesn't expect uh, we we hit a random encounter. Isn't that weird? Oh, uh, that's true. Uh, uh, so usually I don't make them too too fancy or incredible when I when I know what's going on, but I I like to throw them down there every now and then so that they recognize that it's normal. I think a lot of good. Uh or a good source for inspiration for these sort of encounters and sandboxes as general is really video games. This is something that at least snags in my brain a lot. And I think there's a lot we actually can learn from general game design from various video games and your big sandboxes have lots of inspiration just waiting to be found. Like when I think of a good, a good in my eyes, open world RPG, I'm going to, you know, like Skyrim or Oblivion. Um, I It feels like a lot of the world has things waiting to be found. Like, if you just go up a random road, it's probably, more likely than not, you're going to find something happening. It's not just going to be a straight path from from town A to town B. There's, you know, you, you'll find, like, caravans escorting a prisoner. You'll find a fucking dragon you'll find wolves attacking you you but beyond i don't know those are like even like simpler examples but usually there's something like you might find man i don't know i'm flailing here but the point is i I like i like open world rpgs because usually it always feels like there's something to be found even if you go off the beaten path here's here's another thing that you could use for inspiration i know there's like a lot of tv shows that have um like a linear story where it's, you know, they have a goal from the very beginning and they're trying to get there. And in all shows like that, there's always like a couple episodes where something happens that has nothing to do with the main plot. And the only example that I can really think of right now, um, and it's not a perfect example, mind you, but in Gurren Lagann, they run into a bathhouse in just like it's right when they're on the brink of exhaustion and they just happen to find this bathhouse and they're like, Oh wow. Isn't this convenient? And then it turns out to be a trap and shenanigans, you know, um, happen and everything like that. But the, the convenient bathhouse has always been one that I I like the idea of one of you. I swear one of you two did a convenient bathhouse at me or talk to me about prepping one. I think that that was probably me because I had one that was a, I had one in mind that was a sort of layer of the Lotus Eaters. Yes, that's what it is. Okay, it sounds so familiar. Talked about that on podcast. Uh oh, did we? Uh, I, I I could I I remember a, a Lotus Eaters thing. Huh. I think it might have been one of the lost ones. Oh, could have been. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the in the order of initiative vault. Yeah, <laughs> for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> um but. No, that, that, that is such a good idea. And I think it's just like, I don't know, it's a good example that there's inspiration in all sorts of media. It just uh, depends how you dress it up and present it to the players. Yeah, another good sort of uh, 
inspiration you could use is any sort of episodic television that you know doesn't have a linear plot that they're following star trek like the next generation is a great example they just one episode oh, yeah. they find a strange anomaly next episode oh, we're on a planet's first contact time and it's just uh, uh it's next episode data's learning how to tap dance yep exactly <laughs> that, and that's you know and those are the best ones too uh and it, it those are uh, maybe a little bit more disjointed than you, what you might be going for for your sandbox. But it's just sort of just like your party comes to you and says, hey, you know, it'd be cool. I think I think we're interested in doing something like this. And you're like, all right, cool. I got you. You know, Voyager seems like almost the perfect sort of framework. Obviously, it, it, it works a bit more for sci-fi, but there... Voyager's neat to think about adapting to D&D because there is an overarching plot. They're trying to get home. Um, but obviously they're always coming across interesting shit. And I suppose, you know, it's always the party's choice if they want to investigate this distress signal or if they want to try to stop this sun from exploding and taking out all these planets, Prime Directive, whatever. But you know what I mean? Like, the Voyager still comes across shit all the time. Um, what I liked about Voyager was usually or often i suppose at the end of episodes there would be some reason that they shaved off 20 years from their their trip back home right some experimental fuel or a wormhole or hey guys we just they found coffee in that nebula (laughs) hey guys we just shaved off another 20 years nice yeah and it's it's even kind of set in the sort of uh uncharted wilderness that we were talking about earlier where anything can happen um and (laughs) i like the idea of just like taking a show like that and just literally running it episode by episode just throwing <laughs> plot hooks from every episode at your players and see if they catch on it's like wait a minute <laughs> I, I i have to plug this every episode but uh I, ds9 of course uh, would also be great inspiration because it, it it's sort of the same thing you got a home base uh and every now and then you you know gotta leave leave your home base to go figure something out and do something out uh maybe in the gamma quadrant or maybe uh quark has uh gotten your station invaded by pirates and i have to deal with that mm-hmm. so it's uh, a lot of this I, I guess you know same point that willis made earlier use the inspiration that we have available to us because there's a lot of it and um it all works i think i might have like figured out something about sandbox just now like both voyager and deep space nine could work as sandboxes which seems weird at first considering voyager is all about traveling constantly traveling trying to get home and deep space nine is about a like stationary space station how are these both sandboxes i think it might be the fact that most of the adventures come down to the party investigating something i'm sure there's times where you know you bring the like the adventure is brought to them but i feel like more often than not things kick off and then it's up to the characters to look into it and start digging into it right yep exactly it's 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 once again it's all about that player buy-in it's about reactive storytelling it's about putting out your your fishing line with bait and see if the the party takes a bite yep and then you 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 got it and then you pull them in and 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 got them punish them for their actions (laughs) got them and fry them and then reward them after they escape your punishment that's that's the big thing i think you know we talked about in the dungeons as well but um uh, the the reward is you know half the reason they're doing mm-hmm. all this. If you've got a guy that's looking for his father and trying or finding his father's hammer or something, you when they fall find leads to that, that's a good reward. And you know if you maybe you punish them for 
uh, you know, going to the necromancer's tomb too early. But when they come out successful, he finds the hammer just sitting there, and uh, uh, that's the next step to finding his father. Yeah. Or maybe just a bunch, bunch of fucking gold. Who knows? <laughs> Give those adventurers gold. Adventurers love gold. Mm-hmm. Mm. So when are you starting uh, that campaign for us? That uh, sandbox. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you didn't do wilderness. a really good job convincing me to do it. No! We were talk about sandbox all sandbox. You were supposed to get hyped about it. We've got seven minutes left. Let's let's use it wisely to get let's get him. Into... <laughs> Nathan, did, did Nathan didn't you run a like an expedition thing at one point? I vaguely remember the whole point. Was... Yes, for one of your for one of your birthday one shots, yeah. I think. Uh, you you did a, a expedition out west. So like in my in my setting, uh, it is it is believed that the world ends in the western somewhere in the western ocean. Every ship that has sailed out that way has never returned. Um, so we did one where you were with you you signed up with some eccentric uh, explorer who's like, there's there's something out there. World doesn't end out there, and I'm going to prove it. Mm. And uh, you you hopped on board, and then we uh, did one in Hydra Encounter, and had to had to call it quits. Such is life. So I I got a question. Have you ever played Starfinder? No. I made a character in the setting, but I have not <laughs> I've not played the game. Is that an RPG? Yeah, and it's basically uh, it's it's tabletop. Pathfinder. It's it's Pathfinder, um, but space. Oh. I played an it, android. Yeah, it's it's literal. It. It, it is literally Pathfinder in space because it, it 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 even picks up like it's like, oh, this is this is two thousand years after the standard Pathfinder, oh, wow. uh, stuff. Yeah, and and then they like they do a thing where it's like in the lore, nobody can remember back farther than 50 years. Like, there's history, and stuff has happened, but literally nobody in the universe can remember it. Oh. Pretty sure it also, like, specifically says somewhere in the book you can play Pathfinder races, even though none of them are in the book, but it's supported. So it's it's, it's very cool. I, I think space makes a great sandbox, because it's, like, you know, on on our planet, we've got a, most of the land masses explored, and uh, we know kind of what's going on, but, and, and though we can still, you know, write our own setting with unexplored places, I think space as we understand it as humans, is this vast frontier. Yeah. So it makes the, the wonder and the, uh, the the excitement about exploring it feel all the more real, I think. Yeah, Unch- Uncharted yeah. Lands or Space is a really good uh, kind of like, I don't know, tool for facil- uh, facilitating a sandbox. I also think like it makes the idea of getting a map much more valuable than any other type of game where the world is pretty much explored and now the party has a map just for like reference sake or world building's sake if you like give them a map and now they like they actually can use this as a means of choosing where to go or knowing what to avoid it actually feels like a valuable tool i actually in my game i have that kind of like as a built-in mechanic so like like i mentioned they got a map the minute they showed up that was a session zero thing and uh, what it is, they they happen to find uh, find a cartographer that had been kidnapped by goblins, um, and uh, they they have been utilizing. Basically, it's sort of every now and then he'll show up in town. It's like, all right, guys, I, I made this map. If you want it, um, I'm gonna go back out there. Where, do you want me to go look at some place <laughs> in particular? And that sort of that becomes a point of discussion. It's like, where where do we think we're we're gonna explore next? Are we gonna go up to the north? Are we gonna go to the west? Um, and uh, they, they sort of come with that decision, and then, like, many, many sessions later, he'll, later he'll show back up again and say, guys, I got a map. Inevitably, he's not going to show up for a meeting, right? And they have, oh, to, exactly, and they have yeah. to go figure out what happened to him. 
yep and then that'll be their sort of like first experience exploring someplace mapless and that'll be Ooh, a lot of fun that is interesting final thoughts for me i think sandboxes have a lot going for them um it can really help your players feel like they are driving the plot more than a more linear plot that you're setting up agreed and i, I think um the sandbox in general because of the amount of prep that it kind of feels like you're going to need can be a bit intimidating but don't be afraid to just do it a session at a time just um play reactively ask your players mm-hmm. at the end of the session what are you planning on doing next and that's all you need my final thoughts is I can't wait to uh, play in this this <laughs> campaign that uh, okay. Nathan's coming up for me and Charles. And what have so, I done? So. <laughs> I am. I do need to bully at least one of you into running a birthday one shot for me. That's just like a thing now. I I bully <laughs> someone into running a one shot on my birthday every year. You know, I I, I it's a good tradition. I like it. <laughs> uh, hey. Should, that's coming up too, isn't it? It is. Uh, next month. <laughs> I might get I might get a uh, Tommy to do it because she wants to DM but has never quite pushed herself to do it so maybe this will be a good excuse but anyway uh, next week we're gonna be back talking about dragons yeah it's Dungeons and Dragons baby we gotta talk about <laughs> dragons I and then when we do that we're done yep that'll be the end of the show and then we'll do the order of initiative two electric boogaloo oh my god. I fear we will go well over time talking about dragons. <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised. I can, they are I can, timeless, after all. God damn it! That's a good point. No, the, I I have a lot of a uh, a lot of fun ideas about dragons. They're just so flexible. Yeah, I think and incredible. Okay, like I, my my thought is like breaking down their like stats, their abilities, but beyond that, their lore and how to play one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. We will see you next week for that, everyone. Adios. See you later. Bye-bye.